0: This episode of Popular Mechanics' most useful podcast ever is brought to you by Braintree. If you're working on a mobile app and searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. With one simple integration, you can offer your customers every way to pay, period. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com useful. That's braintreepayments.com useful. Of all the inescapable bodily functions we contend with on a daily basis, sleep has to be the hardest. When do you ever hear anyone say, oh man, I was so thirsty last night, but I just couldn't drink a single glass of water? If you spent a month breathing as poorly as some people sleep, you'd be dead. 50 to 70 million U.S. adults have trouble sleeping or trouble staying awake. That's something like one in five. With all the health trackers and NASA-tested technology out there, shouldn't we be able to do something our bodies are designed to do naturally? On today's podcast, we'll talk to Dr. Charles Seisler, chief of the Division of Sleep and Circadian Disorders at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He's worked with astronauts on the International Space Station to help them sleep better, so he can probably tell the rest of us how to do it. We'll also talk to editorial assistant Cameron Johnson, who lives above a noisy bus stop and has been testing sleep trackers, white noise machines, and even sheets for the past couple of months. Finally, in our testing roundtable, we'll learn about diesel cars, a 3D camera, and the coolest thing you can put in a paper airplane, which, surprisingly, is not your phone number. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. We have with us here Dr. Charles Seisler, who is chief of the Division of Sleep and Circadian Disorders at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. He's going to talk to us a little bit about how uh, sleep works and how maybe we can do it better. Dr. Seisler, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be on the show.
0: What are the things that matter most to a person's sleep?
1: Well, there are, um, in, in terms of your of your sleep, the the three important qualities are, first of all, the duration, getting an adequate amount of sleep. Secondly, consistency of the timing, sleeping at about the same time at bedtime and about the same wake time every night to the extent that that's possible in our 24-7 society. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is the quality of sleep, uh, making sure that you don't have a sleep disorder, which can be environmentally induced. So um, now there are things you can do so that when, for example, we work with astronauts and and uh, uh, and they're complaining about uh, noise interrupting them or light interrupting them because the sun rises and sets every 90 minutes up in space that's as they're crazy. orbiting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and believe it or not the space shuttle you really couldn't sh- close the shades completely so that light didn't uh, sort of leak through as you were uh, sitting on the flight deck uh-huh. or, uh so so there are uh some environmental disturbances that can have a profound uh effect on the ability to sleep uh you the, the things that one can do in that circumstance to mitigate uh those those things for example in the space environment uh, for the International Space Station, we we helped advise on the construction of sleep stations, which are uh, which address the issue of of uh, being quiet and dark uh, by by sound attenuating and so on.
0: One, um, I actually personally, I have a th- habit of waking up too early. Which I I always want you know you hear about sleep hygiene and it all seems to have to do with falling asleep and you want a cool dark room and you want to stay away from you know alcohol and caffeine before you go to bed and you want to not look at your phone before you go to sleep but then if you're the kind of person that wakes up at five o'clock in the morning what do you, what are you supposed to do for that?
1: Uh, are you an early morning type?
0: Um, I mean, I prefer to be an evening type. I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle. I feel like, but I I. So
1: so many people they they. Because there's so much happening in the evening, even though they would do great going to bed at 9 and waking up at 5, uh, if you don't want to go to bed at 9, then you're sort of stuck.
0: Right. Yeah, maybe that's uh, my problem.
1: I mean, would you, would you be able to fall asleep if you went to bed earlier? I
0: don't know. I, I, don't th- I feel like I naturally fall asleep at about 11. Like normally I'm, about an, I'm like an 11 to 7, 11 to 8 sort of person, but if I get stressed out, I wake up at 5. Or
1: um, now that's a slightly different thing. That doesn't necessarily mean the internal clock. But the but we are somehow, uh, our brain is programmed to process things. One of the things that happens in the latter half of the night, so in the beginning of the night we have deep, slow-wave sleep, and it's like putting memories into a file cabinet. We're storing all the new things that we learned that day. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then in the latter half of the night, and, and we do that, by the way, and we also rehearse new things that we've learned. So we go over things Um uh, experiments have done, been done at MIT. Beautiful experiments uh, in which they identified that that uh, animals are going through, if they put them in a maze during the daytime to figure out how to get a you know, slice of cheese in, in oh. one of the corners. They're going through that maze at hundreds, you know, at very high speed
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: during the beginning deep slow wave sleep, and then they can do the maze more quickly when they get up because they have rehearsed it over and over again. huh Uh, similar to the fact that we get better and better at a task that we have learned during the day after we have slept. But then in the second half of the night, principally, uh, we're in rapid eye movement sleep a good part of the time. That's when most of our rapid eye movement sleep is happening. And we're integrating the things, and this happens in real time instead of it's bed-up time. Mm -hmm. And we're integrating the things that we learned during the day with all of our previous memories. And when we're disturbed about something—a uh, relative has died—we're anxious about something that's going to happen at work, or whatever. That's often a time that we will experience early morning awakening. Oh, huh! And, I, I'm learning uh,
0: so much. This
1: is amazing. So that's 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 quite different from the the clock misalignment.
0: Uh huh. So there's nothing so, I can do but become be less so stressed. I, so I, so, I, so <laughs> in that
1: case, in that case, I would not suggest uh, evening light exposure. Here,
0: is this the kind of thing like your your circadian clock? Is this the kind of thing you could figure out from a sleep tracker, or what does a sleep tracker tell you?
1: Well, uh, that's a good question. So so the the jury is still out on on to whether or not uh, the different sleep trackers how well they actually track sleep. Certainly, there's no evidence that they reflect the different stages of sleep that the instruments are purporting to tell us. Oh. And there's some evidence that even the amount of sleep, you know, is not very well reflected in some of those devices. It's uh, disconcerting to see so many of them being used without the evidence that, you know, you, in, in my world, you would demonstrate that it's valid before selling it. Right. Uh, but that's that's just not the way. You'll
0: never make any money right. that way.
1: Right, exactly, probably. <laughs> Good point. We're all groggy to some extent when we wake up in the morning. And that persists for up to two hours. It's worse than the first fifteen to thirty minutes. But the the deeper your sleep and the better your sleep, the more groggy you'll feel in the morning. So a lot of people think, Oh, I want to wake up and just feel like totally refreshed. You can <laughs> you can do that like by drinking caffeine, uh mm. and have a caffeine nap, but the b- before you go to sleep, but that's actually going to be disturbing your sleep if you're sleeping for any length of time, uh, and that's one of the reasons you feel better when you wake up. But the but a goal should, should not really be not to feel groggy in the morning, uh, because the better and more deeply you sleep, the more your more time you're going to take to fully wake up.
0: Huh? I've actually noticed that. Yeah, if I sleep on the weekend or something, and I sleep really hard. I call it sleeping hard. You know what I mean. You just you yeah, wake. It's yeah. been like ten hours, and you wake up. and You're like, "What just happened to me?"
1: Because you're really paying back your sleep debt that you have built up, and that's a good thing. Um, and so when you when you sleep hard like that, it means your brain really needed that time for sleep. Huh. Well, you're really not you're really not banking sleep. What's happening is you are you, because we can't sleep more than we need. It's not like eating. So experiments have been done where people are in bed for 14 hours a night for a month. The yes, first few good. nights they 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 sleep 12, 13 hours, but then after that, uh, in the second, third, by the time they get to the fourth week, they're only sleeping 8.2 hours a night. Now they may have paid back like 30 hours of built-up sleep deficiency that they built up, you know, over the previous weeks, months, or years. Um, and now they feel much better, they're more alert during the daytime, they don't have this dull headache that they're carrying around and so on, they, they can shed the caffeine addiction. But uh, but that's something that takes, it takes time to build up the sleep deficiency and it takes time to pay it back. Huh. But if you are sleep-satiated, if you've been tanking up on sleep, you're going to be much more resilient to facing the situations in which you can't get enough sleep.
0: Huh. That is awesome to hear. I'm gonna I actually am going on vacation tomorrow to Mexico and I intend to sleep the whole time now on the beach. Excellent. Have a fantastic, <laughs> have a
1: fantastic uh, time. I will. Excellent. Well good luck to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Cameron Johnson, uh, editorial assistant, who has been testing sleep stuff uh, in general for the last couple of months. Everyone in the office has just been giving you sleep-related products. Why is that, Cameron?
2: Yeah, well, this started about a year ago, actually, when I first uh, got here, and people found out where I live and were horrified. Um, I live in Midtown, in... uh, Uh,
0: Midtown, New York City. Midtown,
2: New York City, which is just the busiest, loudest place, and I live on the second floor and my entire wall facing out is a giant window so i can hear full conversations oh my god at all times of the night what do you
0: live above what's beneath you
2: a bus shelter
0: oh my god
2: yeah and so i just i hear people talking at all times and i hear trucks and there's a firehouse nearby so people thought maybe i should try these sleep things to see if i could actually if this would help me fall asleep better and uh so that's what I've been doing for the past couple months.
0: What's your biggest sleep problem? Are you an insomniac?
2: Not in the medically diagnosed way of the term. I get more than like a half hour of sleep a night, but I have a really hard time going to bed.
0: Uh, what kinds of things did you try?
2: They have these bed sensors, things that monitor your, your breathing and your heart rate and, your, and the, if you move around a lot, of, and then they give you on an app, a lot of them are tied to apps. They will give you advice on what to do Uh, for the next night and they'll show you over like a course of days and weeks and months uh, how you've been sleeping and if you've improved
0: oh that's kind of cool
2: yeah, except it kind of just shows you, hey, you, you don't sleep well here. You also don't sleep well in January. And then on February, you slept worse. Yeah, guess what? So, You've been
0: sleeping poorly for the last six months. Yeah,
2: it's like it's like if your gym sent you an email every time you didn't go to the gym. Eventually, it would just be like, I get it. I didn't go to the gym.
0: <laughs> so there's no, there's no gamification or anything that would encourage you to try to sleep better?
2: No, uh, but that actually would be a good idea.
0: Make it a game. Yeah, treat me yeah. like I'm eight. Well, were there any specific ones that you tried that you liked better than others or yeah, liked at all?
2: The the Why Things Aura was good. It's uh it's it's a little on the pricier side of the ones that I tried, but it not only does it come with a bed sensor and an app, it comes with a companion it's like a it's an alarm clock with a light. At night it will play white noise and it will glow red, like an intense red, which is apparently supposed to help you. Uh, fall asleep. It kind of at first makes you feel like you're going to get murdered. Oh just... right,
0: because that's the scene in the movie. Yeah. It, does it does it play the is the white noise like? Shh, 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 shh. No. No. <laughs>
2: like in like in Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Fortunately, oh, okay. that would keep everybody awake. Uh, and then in the morning, it's it plays uh, blue light, and then there's like a happier wake up song
0: um okay so what other kinds of things did you try
2: there was this comforter and mattress pad from sleep 37.5 which uh, is supposed to distribute uh heat and moisture away from you so it keeps you cooler uh when you're trying to go to sleep and as you sleep and i noticed a little bit of a difference um the mattress pad not so much because you're covering that up with sheets but with the comforter there was definitely a, a, a noticeable difference and it kept me uh cooler because it just the material itself it just it was more down than my other comforter and i don't know it just it it was a little more comfortable yeah so i think that helped a lot
0: so okay so what kinds of uh white noise machines did you try
2: uh, i tried one um from home Edics that uh it worked it was nice it had a remote so you could turn it on from what's your bed. it
0: what kind, what's it called
2: is it called a home Edics white noise maker oh that's and it would play different kind of like storms or a general white noise, and it worked well, but except that after about two minutes, it would get to the end of its sound, and then it would pause for like three seconds, and then it would pick back up.
0: That's like just, the opposite of very, white noise. It was
2: very jarring, right, so I like, had to stop using it. That's I don't know like if not it was, white noise, basically. I don't just know if there noise. was a problem with uh, my particular one, right. or if this is a general thing, but I, I couldn't use that one. So I downloaded one just called White Noise App, on, on your phone. On my phone and I turn it and I just keep it by my head and it sounds like a really intense thunderstorm and that helps me go to sleep. And fortunately there's a sleep setting on it so it'll turn off after like two hours because if I wake up and it sounds like there's a thunderstorm I really don't want to get out of bed or go to work <laughs> or do anything. It's
0: so effective that it will make you sleep for literally forever.
2: Exactly, I could sleep for 45 hours.
0: So, but above the mattress, above a mattress pad, you've got. You said you have sheets between. You. Did you try any sheets or anything like that?
2: Yeah, there's this company, Bed Gear, that makes uh, really nice custom pillows for the the way that you sleep, and then sheets that help also cool you down and and wake away moisture so you know when i wake up now i'm the driest coldest person that can possibly exist but <laughs>
0: which is important yeah it's very important to be that way.
2: it's like sleeping on a it's like a jersey material which is it's pretty cool oh those are kind of but the pillow itself is is the best because it's like it's not memory foam but it's similar to that and it's the first thing that i would have trouble getting to sleep and as soon as i started using that pillow it was
0: cool yeah I actually I maybe I'll try that out because I'm a stomach sleeper and I I can fall asleep very easily but I often wake up with my neck mm-hmm. in an in, inhuman state I don't yeah. think, my neck is a scene so maybe, yeah, I know. maybe I'll try it out
2: I, I, you, you complain about it all the time
0: hey This episode of Popular Mechanics Most Useful Podcast Ever is brought to you by Braintree, which is code for easy online payments. If you can't sleep because it's the middle of the night and you're freaking out about a new app you built that can't accept payments, like Visa, you can buy new sheets or you can check out Braintree. It's the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, and Living Social, and it's made the payment experience in these apps seamless and magical. When you're building your app, you can add support for every payment type your customer might want. You can start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, even credit cards with a simple integration across all platforms. And Braintree's continuous support, plus fast payouts, means you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com slash useful. That's braintreepayments.com slash useful. We're back in the Popular Mechanics Workshop at the Testing Roundtable for our podcast. I have three guests today, all of whom are testing things that are exceptionally cool, I think. Um, Andrew Cali is our senior editor who runs our car section. Hi, Andrew. Hey, thanks and, for having me. And you have a car, huh?
3: I, I did have a car. You did have a car. I did have a car. I had to give it back, unfortunately. That is
0: so unfortunate. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that part of the job. Uh, we also have our tech editor, Alex George, who has uh, something over there that I that looks like it's going to roll over here and maybe laser me. Oh, it's, it's not going to do that. I have it under control. It'll be okay. <laughs> For now. Yeah. Um, and we also have Eric Limer, who is an associate editor from our web team, um, who has a really cool thing that you can put into a paper airplane.
4: Yeah, it's a, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, the flying part, the crashing, not so much, but both of them. Both of them are good times.
0: It's all, it's all fun. Um, so we're going to start with Andrew Delcally, uh, who had a car. What kind of car did you have? <laughs> Hey, guys. This is your host, Jacqueline Detweiler. I wanted to interrupt briefly because when we recorded this episode, senior editor Andrew Delcali talked about an Audi diesel car. And right after we posted the episode, the Volkswagen diesel engine scandal broke. Um, which has been really big news. So if you want to find out more about that, we had Andrew back to talk about what was going on and how that affects diesel engines the worldwide. His particular car was not affected, uh, but he did talk to us about the scandal in a bonus follow-up episode. If you want to hear that, after this episode, you can just go to our page on iTunes, and it's a really interesting interview. what kind of car did you have?
3: I had the uh, 2016 Audi A6 TDI Quattro. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but uh, it's pretty easy to break down for you. A6 is their four-door sedan, and then TDI actually stands for their turbo diesel engines, and uh, and Quattro means that it's all-wheel drive, and so I had that to test for a weekend, and uh, a lot of things I love about it, obviously, because it's Audi, so it's incredible craftsmanship and really nice quality on the interiors and they have great styling, uh, but for me personally, the diesel engine was really what I fell in love with because uh, diesel engines are just so much fun, and a lot of people don't realize that they, uh, they're a lot cleaner than they used to be, a lot more powerful than they used to be, and they're more fuel efficient than a regular engine. So.
0: Wait, so why did they get rid of diesel engines?
3: They didn't really get rid of them, per se. What happened was uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, GM introduced a whole bunch, and others, not just GM, but they had a lot of diesel engines for a while. And uh, they were pretty loud. Uh, they weren't the really, um, uh, eco-friendly, if you will. There's, whenever you talk to someone that grew up in that era, they always think of oh, diesel engines as smoky and smelly and clanky. Oh. Yeah, so they kind of got phased out because nobody wanted to buy them anymore. And that's why you'll see a lot of car companies have, they'll, they'll tag their technology as clean diesel because they're trying to get past that notion that diesel isn't good anymore.
5: I guess that kind of still exists. You think of an idling truck and that signature sound that it makes and the fumes that come off it. It's hard to shake that reputation. It's hard to
3: shake that. And you still have. It's funny. They've engineered a lot of that sound out of it because it comes with a diesel fuel. You have a higher compression ratio, which causes the engine to kind of shake almost. And they call it diesel clatter, uh, diesel knock. And uh, you don't hear it as much with cars like a big truck. But you can walk up to like my Audi when you were outside of it. You could hear it. It, It's... makes a different sound than a a regular gas engine.
4: Speaking of diesel fuel, though, is it like hard to get diesel? Do they have that at all gas stations? I feel like I remember seeing, like when I was younger, seeing diesel signs. I guess I just haven't been paying attention. Yeah, if
3: you pay attention, they usually have it because a lot of trucks are still diesel because because of the compression ratio being higher. They have a very uh, high torque amount right away. And what a lot of people don't realize is that torque is what People want when they think about getting that initial thrust off the line or when you go to pass somebody really fast. So trucks need it because they're pulling stuff. Right. So a lot of gas stations still have diesel. And you're going to see it more and more because uh, a lot, you know, most European model and luxury uh, vehicle makers uh, have diesel options. But you're starting to see it trickle down. Mazda has some options. A lot of the VW line has options. There's a Passat. So uh, you'll see it even more and more. Where'd you go? I took it uh back home to West Virginia,
0: oh so no, that's a so, nice long drive,
3: yeah, oh, yeah, oh, it was a long drive. It was about five hour drive, um so that's especially how I got such a high cruising uh fuel efficiency number, but uh even back home on the on the country roads, it still did really well, so it's kind of like hybrid efficiency almost, but a lot more fun,
0: yeah, and cool, yeah um so Eric, let's talk about what you are testing um it's it's a paper you're testing a paper airplane, right.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. So uh, this is... It's called the uh, Power Up. This is 3.0. A a previous version of it um, was in the... It was in the Popular Mechanics toy... uh,
3: Toy toy Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Toy
4: Awards last year. It's this little rod that has... uh, It has some... It has some gadgetry up front, and in the very back, it has a propeller. And it, it's basically like a spine, almost, for a paper airplane. So you, when you're folding a paper airplane, you have that little, like, canyon in the middle, and you sort of just set this in there and, and clip part of it to the front of the plane, and the propeller actually sticks off the back. So, I mean, basically what it does is it motorizes the paper airplane, right? Um, and then it, it also has a little tail rudder, and then you control the whole thing, via a smartphone app so you just sort of run your finger up on this little uh digital control panel and the the propeller starts revving and then and then you've got you've got actual power you know and then you still have to throw it like a normal paper airplane
3: well all right so i have a question on that front though because i i ran the tour awards last year and so i thought this was really nifty and we got in we gave in a works so it was fun but um it was decidedly difficult to control, and we took it out to uh, Central Park, and it, yeah. it was quite a steep learning curve, so have, have they improved that? Um, I don't know. Having not used the previous version that much,
4: like, I can't really speak to like how much it's improved, but it definitely is still hard. <laughs> the thing is, you need a ton of space. Right. Like, yeah. We started using it uh, in, the, in the room where the web team is, and like, you get used to thinking about how much room you need to throw a paper airplane. And you need, like, 20 times as much room to get sure. that thing going.
0: Did anyone lose an eye?
4: <laughs> no, 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 fortunately not. But I thought we were going to break the thing a number of times. Because, like, you'll, you'll turn it up so that the propeller's going. And then you'll throw it, and it will crash. And the propeller will still be going. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it'll, sometimes it'll hit and, like, the, the plane will, like, j- jump around like a, like a fish out of water. Because the propeller is going and hitting the floor. But it's, it was able to, like, I haven't destroyed it
5: yet. That's been my experience with everything remote-controlled I've ever tried to pilot, is that somehow it flips over, and the rest of it keeps going, and you just yeah. think you're breaking it. Yeah, well, Other I, was times actually, over. I was actually just using that,
4: uh, the little BB-8 Sphero mm-hmm. recently, which was, I mean, that's a ball, so it's it's pretty, you can't flip it over.
0: It's like a ball that you can fly? No, no, no,
4: it's <laughs> just a little ball that you uh, you just drive around the floor. If it was a ball that you could fly, though, that would be cool. I've used... I think
3: that's just a UFO.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, they have those, they have those... Um, those like little quadcopter drones that have like a uh, sort of ball exoskeleton around them. So if they crash, they'll just like roll along the floor. But those are also extremely hard to pilot.
0: Um, and then lastly, Alex George, uh, what, is, what is that thing?
5: So it's about the size of a, it's a little bit smaller than a tennis ball. And it's got a very sinister looking lens on the top of it. Here, I'm going to pass it around. And It looks like an eyeball. That's exactly what it looks like. Looks like yeah. yeah. Epcot
3: Center.
0: Yeah.
5: This is called the 360 Fly. That's the brand. That's the model. It is, so it's a little bit smaller than a tennis ball. And on the top is a single lens that captures 360 degree video. So it's only, it's not complete VR. Like, so there's a, when you actually capture something on it, there's a horizon. So it only goes down to maybe, I forget what the degree measurement is, but you don't get a full, you know, completely full um, image of what you're looking at but it's 360 video so that means when you throw it on top of your bike helmet or whatever when you're mountain biking you upload a video it can go on if you guys have used YouTube 360 Mm, when you're looking at a video you can just kind of pan around it's pretty cool even in that and then the the other application is you can put it in Google Cardboard or something like that and the cool thing about it is that you see these, these rigs that were originally for VR. They were these many thousands of dollars sophisticated cameras are really heavy. And this is kind of it's like the GoPro, what that did for recording stuff. What kind of resolution do you get out of this thing? it's pretty it's below um, i mean it's, it's
4: always low when they do like because that's the thing about those like panorama things is like you'll sometimes see a clip taken from a traditional camera and then you'll go be like oh i want to look at the panorama and then immediately the resolution drops because there's so much video that you're not looking at which is always kind of a bummer
5: oh for but. sure yeah i mean it's got it's that's the trade-off so you'll see like google's making this thing where they strap i think it's 16 gopros yeah. in a circle mm-hmm. and then they do that's how you can shoot like 4k it can be really cool like that I've seen some stuff on YouTube that does that. I don't know how much the resolution makes up for it, but the cool thing about this is that because it's just one lens and sadly because it's a little bit lower resolution, you don't have to do any editing for it. You can just have it and just kind of upload it. And yeah,
4: so you don't have to worry. You don't have to like go through any sort of proprietary software it just it spits out a video that you can just kind of throw right up onto youtube or
5: you work it here i'm going to pass around the app so what you do is
0: right. yeah, I, of say, course. I looked at i looked at this earlier it's it's wild you can just like see what it's looking at right now if we set it can, yeah yeah so
5: and you can see it live on your phone and you just move your phone around and it kind of tracks around whatever is within eyesight of the thing which is it's kind of unreal
0: yeah that's what's so that the was quality so is kind of weird
5: it. though yeah, well it, it's better when it's recorded too. I thought the same thing. Okay. And I was curious about that, but cool. um yeah, I mean it's basically it's how long does the battery last and how does it attach? Oh, uh, it's got like a little it's got a tripod screw on the bottom okay. and then just like GoPro, it's got these different mounts that you can attach it to it's got the 3m adhesive so you can throw it on bike helmet or whatever it's 400 bucks and like which is insanely cheap and so it's basically kind of making it accessible to anybody who would maybe buy gopro instead even at low resolution it is pretty cool to have a video on youtube and just be like scrolling around and seeing every single part of a room and seeing people walk around you and uh even without the full vr experience i think it's it's a really it's seriously i know this sounds hyperbolic but it's this medium that is completely different because it so puts you in it in a way that it doesn't when you're just looking at a 2d video uh
0: so it's kind of weird to ask if you'd buy a car especially since i happen to know you live in in brooklyn but would you buy your would you buy your car
3: well it's uh contingent on a couple things one i have to make a ton of money because the car i drove was like seventy thousand dollars but uh that's optioned out and everything it's actually a base at 46 too um But with the diesel engine, all the stuff that I really like at seventy, it's uh, expensive. But if I could do it, I would definitely buy this car because I really like this car.
0: Cool, Uh, Eric. uh, Would you buy your paper airplanes, mine?
4: Yeah, I mean, I might. I think it would make a really good uh, like a gift for a kid who's interested in like aviation stuff. It's only fifty bucks, so that's not too much. The only thing is like needing so much space, and when you go outside, you have to deal with wind. I would almost think that like the the other alternative is you can just get. Some uh, you can get little quadcopters or little drones for around the same price if you're getting the cheap one, and those are so much easier to use in a small room because they just take off vertically and you don't have to throw it a long way. So,
0: right. But if you really if you want to get somebody into origami, this is really the way to do it.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, totally. It's totally worth. If it sounds like something that's interesting, it's totally worth the fifty bucks.
0: Right. Uh, and then Alex, would you buy this crazy little eyeball that is? over here
5: I say wait it's just about to become they're gonna make some you know changes to it and the software is gonna get better resolution is gonna get better probably I would say right now it's really exciting the next iteration of it is actually what's gonna be really really good
0: and when do you think that'll happen
5: if you can hold out for another year or so I think that's probably when the next phase of this is gonna come through
0: awesome Uh, well thanks guys so that's our show The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by Jack Dillon. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. If you want to read more about cars, sleeping well, and virtual reality gadgets, you can also check out our website, popularmechanics.com slash podcasts. While you're there, you can also subscribe to Popular Mechanics magazine. The print and digital editions are just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.